I am not. Uh, now I am on. Okay, today, uh, go ahead and turn. I'm going to tell you two things. One, place a marker in Matthew 19, because that's where our text, our official text is. We're going to be looking at the rich young ruler. I'm also going to have you place a marker at Luke 18, because Luke 18 sort of gives some contextual information to the rich young ruler, especially when you look at Luke 17 and 18, you sort of get a picture of what's going on, of, of sort of the, the, the thrust of the, the discussions and the parables that Jesus is, is talking about, and that's relevant to our discussion uh, about the rich young ruler. So place a marker at both uh, Luke 17, 18, and then also in Matthew 19. And so today, we're going to be focused on this concept of talking to good people. You know, we've talked to, we talked about, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked to uh, uh, the Samaritan woman, and uh, you know, how do we talk to someone who's really thirsty you know, for something? They're looking for something, we just, they just don't know what they're looking for. Last week, we looked at those who uh, are in opposition to us. Today, we're going to take sort of a slightly different approach and look at talking to good people. And to me, this is almost, this is relevant for everyone because we all know people who are just morally good, right? They have some code of moral that they are, that they live by. Uh, and, and so we all know those types of people, but what do they need? Just like the Samaritan woman, just like the Pharisees, just like us, what are they in need of? You can speak out, this is a, you can say something. They need Jesus, yes, they need the gospel. Okay, think about Romans 3.23, for all sin and have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. So, even good people need Jesus. Even good people need the gospel. It's the cure. It's the solution to the need that they have. There are lessons that we've learned previously and techniques of evangelism that we've learned previously throughout the study, specifically the last two weeks is what I'm going to be focusing on. But I want to go back and review because I think they're relevant to how we approach good people. And so bear with me as we do a level of review. And first I want to look at lessons learned. First off, we got to learn how to... Uh, build relationships. We, we have to learn how to build rapport and how to, to, to meet people and have conversation with them. You know, we, we just can't live like hermits. Even me, you know, social slug that I am, I can't just live inside of my four walls and, and, and live. Jesus expects us to get out and live in the world, not be of the world, and meet people. And talk to people. Matthew 28, you know, the Great Commission. So 
That's number one. That's the, that, that, that's the basis of everything. And as you build those relationships, you go through three phases. A phase where you, they get to know you, a phase where they can get to like you, and a phase where they can trust you. And until you get to the point where the person, that, that prospect, let me just call it a prospect for lack of a better word, when you get to the, when that prospect get, gets you or you get to the point of a trusting relationship with the person that you're, you have in mind of needing the gospel that you're wanting to focus on, when you get to that trusting relationship, they're more likely to respond to you because there's that trust. You've gone through the various phases and you have a trusting relationship. They're more apt to open up to needs that they have. They're more apt to ask questions about why you live this way or why you do this or why you don't do that. We've got to get to the trusting relationships. And let me just say this, when we think about um, uh, confessing our sins one to another, James 5, how can we do that amongst ourselves if we don't have those trusting relationships with each other? That takes time. That takes getting to know each other. So, <clears throat> so some of these lessons learned can be applicable to, just to us as well. Next, once you have that trusting relationship, then it's all about having those natural, free-flowing conversations that can then help you and help them have a, discussions where you can talk about what they need. You can get to a deeper, deeper level. And that, in my mind, is what's happened. When you look at the context of today's study, and you see that Jesus, by this time, is, is known in the region. People are coming to him. The rich young ruler has obviously, just from the context, has heard about Jesus. And so there is a question that the rich young ruler asks of Jesus in the very first uh, verse of our passage. Okay? But for us, we're not going to get there if we don't have a good, strong relationship. And so the rich young ruler is comfortable asking this question of Jesus. Third, I'm going to combine the, the next one. The third and fourth bullet point, recall is we've got to realize that evangelism is about teaching Christ. It's about teaching Christ as Lord. It's about um, using reason uh, from the scripture. And what does, what does Jesus do today? Where, where does he go back to when he's talking to the rich young ruler? Does he say, well, I think about, I think this is what you need to do. I think that, I think this. Let me just make a side comment before I pull this out. When, we, when we're talking to someone about the gospel, we need to avoid using the word, I think, I believe. This is what the passage is saying. The passage is either saying it or it's not saying it. We have to rely upon the word, not our opinion of what the word says. That's going to weigh a lot more... Uh, it's going to have a lot more emphasis with the prospect, the person that you're teaching, than a whole bunch of opinion. 
And so we see today that just like he has in every case that we've gone to, Jesus relies on the word. He's reasoning from the scripture, just like the apostles did that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in the book of Acts. And then finally, and I've said this, probably I'm like a broken record. When we're evangelizing, evangelizing correctly, people are going to draw their own conclusions. They're going to conclude. We don't need to tell them. We want them to conclude from the scripture through the reasoning that they've done. So those are some lessons learned, practical lessons that I think help us in our evangelism efforts. Again, we'll go back and drill this in as we go through today's study. So what are some techniques then that we can learn or takeaways with regard to techniques? And one of them I've already said, we've got to build rapport. We've got to be able to go out and talk to people. And like what Jesus did with the Samaritan woman, I call it a drip campaign. You know, I have to, that's just the way my mind works. Because if you recall, what did Jesus do? Just sort of dropped little things along the way in the conversation that were spiritual in nature. She thought they were what? Physical, dealing with uh, physical water. His mind was on the spiritual water, but he kept just pressing along, just dripping, dripping, dripping. And that produced a curiosity in her. The next technique is through questioning. We, we'll see this again today. Through questioning, the prospect is able to come to a conclusion about what Jesus is actually saying. And that really comes to light in today's study. And last week we saw that through questioning, Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And so this is the final takeaway, and that is, just like we saw last week, we ought to exhibit some tough love sometimes. Now this week... Jesus takes a different approach because the prospect doesn't need the tough love. But he still approaches and does it in a loving manner, which then takes us to the primary principles we always need to remember in how when we evangelize, when we talk about Jesus to other people, and that is we always need to be prepared, just like Jesus was, we have to realize that approaches are, need to be different because people are different. Each of the three studies that I've covered over the last two weeks and then today, each of the prospects were different, and he uses different approaches. So one size does not fit all. And so finally, we must remember we must always have love and compassion for others. And that really comes to light. Uh, and I'm actually going to go to Mark when we get to this point in the study because Mark is very, uh, he, he just lays it out that Jesus felt love for this rich young ruler. And so we'll see the, uh, how Jesus uh, talks about 
uh, or discusses and, and converses with this rich young ruler. So let's now turn our attention to the passage. And as I said, I wanted to go and look at Luke 17, 17 and 18, to sort of to get a context for where we are. It's going to help us guide into the study of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 and also Luke 18. So let's go first to Luke 17, 11. And it is shortly before Jesus uh, goes to Jerusalem. In fact, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's making his final trip to Jerusalem. And he is passing near or between Samaria and Galilee. And that's in 1711. If you go to chapter 18, verse 35, he's approaching Jericho. Okay, so just picture in your mind, have a vision that uh, Jesus is somewhere, uh, you know, likely on near the Jordan River or wherever, and he, he's between uh, Galilee up here, Samaria, and remember Judea is down here. So that is where he, he is. And in verse 20, I'm just going to go and skip to verse 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees in Luke 17, verse 20. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, when you think about a country or a kingdom, what do you think about? A physical kingdom. What does a physical kingdom or nation have? Domain. Domain. That's really where I was headed toward. Domain. There are borders, right? You know, we're supposed to have borders at the north, at the south, okay? But each country has a border, Right? The king knows exactly the domain that he has rule over. And it's very obvious if you're a citizen in that kingdom. Right? Why? Because you live within the borders, right? But I want you to think about the kingdom of God. Where are the borders? There aren't any. How do you know? If you're a citizen, how can somebody know if you're a citizen of this borderless nation or kingdom? It's more inward, right? It's more an inward, um, uh, I guess, like a better word, uh, I'm struggling for the word, I'm just on brain dead. Um, I guess it's an inner spiritual idea versus... I'm, a, I'm an American, I'm a U.S. citizen because I reside within the borders of the U.S. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And so as you, we go through sort of the, the various situations in Luke 17 that lead us up into the rich young ruler at the beginning of, of 18, I want you to think about what Jesus is really being focused on 
here. They're all, they're, they're linked by this common idea of the heart. They're all linked by an inward perspective versus an outward perspective. Okay? So, so, um, so, uh, so that that and I won't have I, I don't I just simply don't have time to go through all uh, a full exposition of of the passages. But keep that in mind that that's what Jesus is saying is the citizens of of God's kingdom. It's an inward perspective. When you look at the parable of the woman and and the judge, um, I want you to think about it from the perspective of the fact that. Jesus is communicating the power of prayer. He's communicating the fact that if an unjust judge can have mercy upon someone who relentlessly keeps asking, 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 how much more will Jesus uh, will God have upon our prayers? given that we are his subjects, we are his children. Okay? So I think that's the point with here. And again, we can, we can dissect these later. But when you go into and talk about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax gatherer, I think I referenced this a couple of weeks ago, I, I believe. Think about the contrast between the Pharisee and the tax gatherer. Who was the one who was justified? Was it the Pharisee? No, it was the tax collector, it's the tax gatherer. Because he was the one that was humble of heart. You see the common thread? It's the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart. And so now we come to this example in uh, in Acts excuse me, in Luke 18, 15 through 17, where the, the little children were coming, were bringing their, ba- uh, let me just read it, in verse 15, and they were bringing even their babies to him so that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking him. And notice what Jesus says. Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Again, he's focusing on the heart because when you think about the heart of a child, what do you initially, immediately think of? The innocence, the purity of a, of a baby or of a young child who hasn't sort of reached the, the point of understanding right and wrong. Okay? The citizens of God's kingdom have that level or type of purity. And so now we get to the rich young ruler, okay, the good person. And we see as we go through this study, what's he missing? Not to give the the story away or the bank away, but he's missing the heart, okay? So, let's flip on over and we'll look at Matthew 19 since that is our official text. 
So Matthew 19, verses 16 through 26, and time permitting, I'm going to go beyond verse 26 because I think there's some applicability to uh, what Peter and Jesus' discussion is in verses 27 through 30. So we'll just see how our time goes. Verse 16, and behold, one came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And he said, And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking upon them, Jesus said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So, I want you to think about the context. We're talking contextually about the kingdom, about the heart of man, about uh, those who are citizens of God's kingdom, and this rich young ruler wants to know what good thing, going back to verse 16, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life or obtain eternal life? So, what can we conclude from the rich young ruler's question? What does he think eternal life is predicated upon? Works. Works. Yes. He wants to know, okay, what box can I check that will guarantee me eternal life? And isn't that very common among people? That they feel like, okay, I, I, I do this, I do this, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this, I do this. I am guaranteed a place in the pearly gates. Isn't that what they're thinking? And I'm just going to ask the question. Is that sometimes that thought coming to our mind as well? That we check, 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 check. I've checked all the boxes and I'm good to go. But one thing have we missed. Think about the church of Ephesus in Revelation. Check, 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 check. But what had they done? They had abandoned their first love, right? So... 
we have to think about the fact that we don't do the same thing. Because think about what Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 4. This passage came to mind as I was contemplating the question of the rich young ruler. And specifically in verse 2 of chapter 4 of Romans, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. So Paul addresses this concept in Romans because it's a very... I won't say natural, but it's a very easy concept to get into this thought process that if I just check the box, I'm okay. And that is simply not the case. So, how does Jesus respond? In verse 17, he basically just says, keep the commandments. And I like the way that Jesus approaches this discussion because what does he do? He's starting with the general, sort of think about it as a funnel. He's going and he's moving down and he's going to come very specific to what the rich young ruler needs to do. So right now he's just saying you just need to keep the commandments. Now generally speaking, what commandment is he, what commandments is he talking about? He's talking about the law of Moses, okay? So, because that's the law under which the Jews lived. Hey, you keep the law. Now, is that a true statement? Yeah, he needed to keep the law. And notice then, that then evokes a different or another question from the prospect. So again, notice how Jesus is responding to the questions because the way that Jesus responds creates additional questions. And that's what we want to do. We want to keep the conversation going. We want to keep the, the, the person asking questions of us. And so now he's saying, well, okay, which one? Which, which commandment do I need to keep? Again, he's still got the thought that if I just check the box, I'm going to be good. And notice what, he, what Jesus says. Jesus now goes back to, what's verse 18? What is verse 18? Okay, y'all know the answer to this. These are the Ten Commandments, Right? And so, Jesus says, you know, he goes down through the commandments, through most of them. No, they're not all of the Ten Commandments. But they're the commandments that pertain to how they, he should respond to other people, right? And the young man says, well, I've done all of this. You know, I'm a... You know, he didn't come out and say this. Well, maybe he did. I better, I better go back and make sure. You know, all of these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Okay, I'm a good person, Jesus. I've done all the things that God wanted me to do. 
but he senses that there's still something lacking here. Because he keeps asking the question, what can I do? What thing assures me of eternal life? And now we're coming a little bit further in. And so what does Jesus now say? What must he do? He's got to sell everything he has. He has to give to the poor. Sell what you have. Let me go back to verse 21. If you wish to be complete. And I want to go back. I want to go back before I say this. Go, go to Mark's account. Which is in Mark 10. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. I sometimes have a habit of doing that. So verse 10, excuse me, Mark 10, verse 20. The rich young ruler says, Jesus, I've kept all of these commandments. And it's not something new. He's done it from his youth up. Okay? And so how is Jesus... How does he respond? Say in verse 21, And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said. You may have a different perspective of this passage. I guess I get a sense that here we have a rich young ruler who is truly a good person. He was raised right. He was raised to do good things. He's kept the law from his youth. And he wants to know, what can I do? What? Just tell me what I need to do. And, you know, Jesus felt, feels this compassion, this love. I won't, go say, I won't go as far to say he felt sorry or pity for the man. But there is, a, there is this this connection that Jesus feels with this man because notice what he says one thing you lack go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me now did the law say anything about caring for the poor yeah, if you go back and read Leviticus, I think, 19, I think is the chapter. There is some, some, some instruction about how the, the Jews were to care for poor, for the poor. Remember, they were to leave the gleanings in the field for uh, poor people and other instructions. So Jesus' initial statement about following, you know, keep the commandments was accurate. Because it's in there. But what is the problem with the, this man? What can't he get past? It's a problem of the heart, is it not? When you, when you just cut down to the chase, it's a problem with the heart. Because what's he more attracted to? 
he's, he's, he wants the prosperity. He's comfortable with that. He likes it. That's what he wants. And, but it, what's his reaction? In verse, I'm, while we're in Mark 10, I'm just going to stay there. In verse 22, <clears throat> but at these words, his face fell. He just, you know, he, he comes to Jesus. You, know, you, you sense that he knows that Jesus has the answer and he's expecting one thing, right? He's expecting the, a, check, the, a box to check. And Jesus doesn't respond the way he thinks he's going to respond. And his, you just see the, the balloon pop, or his countenance fell. And he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. You know, I could not help but think about Hebrews 12. And this is the way the Carrie Lewis mind works, okay? And you're thinking, what does Hebrews 12 have to do with the rich young ruler? Maybe, you, maybe you're closer to the way I think than I think you're thinking. Because aren't we all the rich young ruler? At some point, right? And do we not continue to be the rich young ruler? Because, what does Jesus say? Come, follow me. And what does come, follow me mean? It means you're all in or you're not all in. There is no in-between. There is no list of boxes to check. You're either going to submit to God's will or you're not going to submit to God's will, to what Jesus has to say. In this case, the rich young ruler wasn't willing to go the extra mile to be pleasing to Jesus, to follow him, and went away grieved. And so as I am in reading this, thinking this, I go to... Chapter 12, verse 1, where the Hebrew writer says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So do you see a connection? We're all the rich young ruler. And so... Have we, we, we've accepted Christ, we've been baptized into, uh, in, into him. But you know, those desires, the wants, just like the rich young ruler, do they just shoop, vanish, go away, pop, never to come back after you're baptized? So, <clears throat> we are all a rich young ruler. Now, we may have gotten past the initial, like I said, and been baptized, but we all continue to be the rich young ruler. So, when we're evangelizing, we need to have that patience and understanding that we're in the same boat the, that prospect is in who is struggling to give up something for the sake of Christ. Because the rich young ruler is going to be a lot of people 
who aren't willing to do what it takes. And so, as I said, we all may be struggling in one aspect of our lives or, you know, or anything else. You know, it's not one sin is greater than another sin. They're all equal. We may have a problem with pride. We may have a problem with uh, forgiveness. We may have a problem with you know, displaying love for each other. But we all have something that we always have to get past. And we need to remember that as we go and evangelize and talk to others and show the patience that we need to have. And so, uh, before the bell begins to ring, what I want to do is notice the reaction of the disciples. So, in verse 22, the, the, I'm going back to Matthew, Matthew 19. <clears throat> so, the young man goes away grieved, he owned much property, and then Jesus sort of, you can sort of envision that Jesus turns to his disciples and says, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Specifically in the context, you know, the rich young ruler not willing to to give up that to follow Jesus. But as I said, I think we have to think about it from a broad perspective. What's the camel for us? What's the eye of the needle for us? Um, and when you know, I think about, uh, what is it, Matthew 16? That's what I wrote down. I think it's Matthew 16, back over a couple of pages. Yeah. Matthew 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The rich young ruler wasn't willing to give that up. We need to. We've got to. And so notice, if you go back to Matthew 19, the, his disciples are astonished, then who can be saved? You know, they're confused. And verse 26, looking upon them, Jesus said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. God provides the way of escape. God provides the avenue for salvation. It is the word. And so he offers the door. We just need to pass through it. And we need to get others to come to that door and to pass through it. And notice in verse 27, this isn't part of the, the official text, but I want you to look at this, and we'll go ahead and read it. Then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What will there be for us? So they have, they've given up everything. And as you, you know, we think about Peter, Andrew, James and John, and, and others, that they left their work to follow Jesus. 
Notice verse 28. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. You also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or farms for my sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. This is really the answer to the question that the rich young ruler asked, is it not? How do you want to inherit eternal life? You abandon your world and you follow Jesus. You give up all for the sake of something so much greater. And so in, with the case of the rich young ruler, he wasn't willing to do that. But we need to be. We have to be. And just thinking and connecting it to evangelism, you know, of the three lessons that, that I've taught over the last three weeks, how many of them were, how many of Jesus' uh, interactions were successful? And you see the air quotes. Not all of them. One. The Samaritan woman. Because what did she do? She went out and told other people. But when you think about the Pharisees, what was their reaction? You know, they got angry. The reaction of the rich young ruler was disappointment. That's not what I want to do. And goes away. I just point that out. Because as we evangelize, we can't get more focused on the results than we are on the activity. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I think I said that right. It's more important to evangelize than expect the results. The results will come, but the results are dependent upon the person. Does that make sense what I'm saying? We have to realize Jesus didn't do 100% or didn't get 100%. You understand what I'm saying. So just have to be patient and, um, and do what we can do to teach to others. I think the bell is about to ring. I maybe have one minute. Any comments? Nathan. David is coming with the mic. I think just to emphasize what you just said is, is we need to understand that we may not be the harvesters, that God actually calls us to be the sowers and the gardeners, so mm-hmm. to speak. And Jesus even emphasizes that in yeah. John chapter 4 there when, you know, the people from the town are coming. He yeah. tells the, his disciples, you're about to harvest what you did not plant, what you did not work for. So, yeah. so we, are, we are seed sowers. And that should be our focus. Yeah, and I'm so glad you said that because that prompted something I did want to say. You know, I've talked a lot about the what, the techniques. haven't necessarily focused on the how component. And let's just say, I'm not the best person to go up and meet people. That's just not me. It's like when I go into a room of people I don't know, I just sort of, it's mentally exhausting. It's just 
break out in a cold sweat. You know, I have people at work that just go into a room full of people they don't know. And by the end of the event, they know 100 people. It's like, I'm looking for the door. So um, we all have our own strengths and weaknesses. But what does Paul say about 1 Corinthians 12, about the church? We're members, just like members in a body that don't all do the same function. When it comes to evangelism, we may not be the best person to go out and meet people, but maybe somebody can meet people and, bring, and maybe they're not the best teachers or maybe somebody else can. So what I'm saying is it's all a team. It's a teamwork. It's team effort. That's what we're here for, to support each other. So I just leave that for you to chew on for the next week. But anyway, okay, thank you.